grace and peace to you from God our Father, through the Lord Jesus Christ, friends. Amen. We all know Christmas is coming, right? You go to the grocery store, it's all decorated with the wreaths and the bells. You drive down the street, everybody's got lights up. You look in living rooms, there's trees. We're all wrapping presents, we're planning meals. We know Christmas is coming. The first Christmas wasn't like that. Though only a few people knew what was coming. Right? Mary, Joseph, Mary's cousin Elizabeth, maybe her husband Zechariah. No one else knew what was coming closer as Mary's belly grew and grew. And then the baby was born and still, the big announcement was to a few shepherds who went into town, saw the baby, told people, and then that was it. One of my favorite devotional writers, Mark Paustian, says that Jesus was born and slipped, barely noticed, into our world. This brief flurry of activity and then 30 years of silence as that Christmas baby grew up into a man. Then, when he had turned 30, there's a flurry of activity again, right? Three years he spends traveling his country. He's preaching, he's teaching, he's healing in every little village. Suddenly that's ended by a shocking reversal, right? The crowds had been following him, cheering for him, singing his praises. Then they're crying out for his death that Friday. And so he dies nailed to a cross. And then three days later, he rises again, right? And he guarantees thereby that we too will one day rise and live. This is Christianity. It's an unbelievable story, right? If it were a Hollywood movie, we'd say it was full of plot holes. We'd ask if it was a joke, but it's not. And it didn't need to be a surprise. God had been announcing for thousands of years with increasing specificity the way in which he would bring about the world's salvation, but people weren't listening. This last Sunday in Advent, our readings from Scripture underscore this idea. Our God works in nonsensical ways, ways that defy human credulity, marvelous, glorious ways. And it's no joke. We're going to start by putting ourselves in Joseph's slippered feet, as he made coffee the morning after that dream. I know they didn't have slippers back then. I know they didn't have coffee back then. Work with me. Here's Joseph. His head is spinning, his mind is racing, his heart is pounding, and he must have remembered all those words that the angel said to him because someone told Matthew about the dream years later so that Matthew could write it down here for us so that we could also think over each word of the angel's message as Joseph was undoubtedly doing that morning. Joseph, son of David, the angel starts by saying to him. And right away, Joseph would have known something was up. His father's name was not David, it was Jacob. And yeah, sure, Joseph's family was from King David's line, but so were many people that Joseph knew. David had had many children. David was a complex, imperfect human like us. He was a great king. He was a man who had truly wanted to follow after God's heart, but he also had a prideful and violent streak that showed itself on a few occasions. We all know about his adultery with Bathsheba, his arranging the murder of her husband Uriah so that he could marry her. Earlier in David's life, he there's another event that sort of serves as a precursor to this. He almost murdered a man who had insulted him named Nabal and was only prevented from doing so by the wise actions of a God-fearing woman named Abigail. David, this imperfect sinner with a prideful, violent streak, 
fell into the same sin which many of God's Old Testament leaders fell into. He had at least eight wives. He had more than 18 children with all those different wives. And now Joseph knew this. His family line didn't come through the other children. It came through the line of the kings, through Solomon, and through those who would rule over Israel. So Joseph Joseph had that particular special connection back to David still. The idea of calling himself Joseph, son of David, would have felt ridiculous. He was a, a carpenter in a backwater town. He wasn't a king. Was this some kind of joke? Right? Maybe you heard about this in the news a few weeks ago. There was this ridiculous plot exposed in Germany. The prince, the, or the police there arrested a minor noble, a guy named Prince Heinrich XIII, and a group of uh, 24 others along with him who had planned to overthrow the German government and install Heinrich as king. And these folks had lists of political enemies. Uh, they were storing guns and ammo. They had silver and gold stashed away because they knew that what they were going to do would cause kind of an economic meltdown and they needed some, some fiat currency, tangible currency. What insanity, right? What delusions of grandeur, what foolhardy disregard for human life. Shouldn't Joseph have thought the same way about this dream as the angels calling him son of David? This is some kind of joke. This is ridiculous. We don't have a king anymore, he should have thought. There's no house of David anymore. There hasn't been a king for 600 years. And if that wasn't ridiculous enough, uh, the angel keeps on going. Joseph, you know Mary is pregnant, but the story she told you, uh, that was true. This baby is from God. Joseph had probably asked Mary, is this a joke when she told him? And that must have been hard for Mary must have been hard for Joseph, too. As Mary, as far as he could tell, he, she was lying to his face. She was telling him a story more ridiculous than any he'd ever heard before, right? Yes, okay, in the Old Testament, God had miraculously caused pregnancies, but he had always done so through the normal means available to husbands and wives. Mary, you're trying to tell me that God just made you pregnant? <laughs> this is some kind of joke. It's not funny. Tell the truth. And now Joseph, again, he's standing there in his slippers, his coffee's getting cold, he's looking out the window, totally lost in thought. It's not a joke. This is really happening. God's Messiah is coming into the world, and Joseph is going to be his stepfather. It's mind-boggling. It's fanciful and far-fetched. It's the most unlikely thing anyone could ever have imagined. It's Christmas. Isaiah said it would be like this in our Old Testament reading. He describes Jesus here, God's Messiah, in a way that underscores how contrary this plan is to human thinking. Jesus is described as almost some kind of monster. Verse 14, his appearance was so disfigured, his form marred beyond human likeness. Hearing that this is God's chosen Savior is meant to give us the same reaction as if we had heard heard that uh, Frankenstein's monster won a beauty pageant. There's an interesting question that people ask about this particular verse, just to take it on a little bit of a tangent. Some people would say that we're meant to understand from this verse that Jesus himself was actually a physically ugly human being. I'm not convinced that that's necessarily what this passage is telling us, although it could also be true. But what we know that this passage is telling us is that Jesus' message about himself and his work here on earth is objectionable to the way that humans naturally think. The Apostle Paul explains that to us in our second reading. He says in verse 23, This is Jesus' message. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Verse 28 then, we, make, we Christians maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Now you stand there with Joseph in your own slippers, with your own cold cup of coffee, and think about this shocking message that you're hearing. God's glory demands perfection from us, but every person has sinned. Every person has done what is evil and failed to live up to what God expects of us. Okay, really, like, sure, we're imperfect, but that's a bit far, isn't it? Right, to say that imperfection is falling short of God's glory, is that some kind of joke? No, that's that's true. God requires perfection of us. Be ye perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. But, here's the truly shocking thing. That same God who requires perfection from those who would stand in his presence reckons as perfect those who approach him with faith in Jesus. No perfection of their own necessary. There's a picture that for me um, really illustrates this idea, God's demand for perfection being satisfied by faith in Jesus. When I was a kid, my grandparents had a little penny-operated gumball machine. You'd put a penny in, turn the crank, poop, gumball comes out. All they asked for was a penny. And right next to the gumball machine, Grandma and Grandpa had a little glass jar that they made sure was full of pennies. Grandma and Grandpa asked for a penny to get a gumball. They had pennies for us. God asks for perfection to enter eternal life with him. He's got perfection for you in his son Jesus. Not just Jesus' birth, but Jesus' life was shocking as well. He was perfect. And everyone who knew him as a man marveled at him and could only say he's done everything well. That's not the reaction that people always have to you, is it? Are people shocked often by your love, your care, your thoughtfulness? Yeah, maybe, sometimes. Are they also often shocked by your inattention, by your self-centeredness? Right, sometimes we don't even notice that someone is hurt by our actions because we're that focused on ourselves. Because of Jesus' wise and holy living, Isaiah says, verse 13, he is rightly exalted and lifted high. Because of our actions, we are often rightly brought low, humbled, left with nothing to pride ourselves on or puff ourselves up with. It's a good thing. Our second reading, verse 27. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. It is a good and holy thing that we recognize that our few acts of charity are nothing to boast about before the holy and righteous God of all. Instead, it's good that we recognize that we are recipients of the greatest charity the world has ever seen. Maybe you've seen a video like this before. Someone experiencing homelessness is presented with the keys to an apartment at six months' rent. Or somebody who desperately needs a car gets led around the corner and the camera shows them looking at the paid-off SUV with the big bow on top, right? And what's their reaction? Wow, are you kidding me? Is this for real? This is some kind of joke, right? That's the reaction we should have to Christmas. It's absurd. It's unimaginable. It's God breaking into our lives, into our need, and giving us more than we could ever have asked for or imagined. There's more. That's always the, the fun part of those videos, too. That's not it. Open up the car. Open the door and see what else we've given you, right? There's, there's going to be more money or there's going to be something else. God's the same way. So this up here on this altar, that's body and blood and it's bread and it's wine. Is that some kind of joke? It's not. It's true. 
So you're telling me, Pastor, that that little bit of water you're sprinkling on my head there, it's washing away my sins, it's bringing me into God's family? Yeah, I am. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't it the most beautiful thing you could hear? Here, here, here in these gospel means, the gospel and water, the gospel and bread and wine, here's Jesus bringing himself to you, right? No joke. It's a gift for you, right? Here's baptism. It's God's name and your name in the same sentence when the pastor says, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's like a tag on a present from God to me. The supper here, a gift, a meal provided for you like a friend sits you down at their table and feeds you. It's forgiveness placed on your own lips. It's all crazy, right? These things you believe, your faith, friends, it's absurd. It's unimaginable. That's fine. That's better than fine. That's glorious. It's exactly what Isaiah predicted. What they were not told, they will see. What they have not heard, they will understand. This Christian faith was never something humans would have made up and told one another. It has always been from the very beginning, from the promise in the garden, a revelation from God Almighty. It's no joke. Forgiveness for sinners apart from their works, a baby conceived in a virgin, a king born in a stable, water and bread and wine bringing forgiveness to you from the God of all things. It's no joke. It's all true. God be praised. Amen.